Welcome to this episode of our Innovations Podcast Series by Sanford Health. Dr. Eric Topol is a renowned American cardiologist, scientist, and author. He is the founder, director, and professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research, and he is senior consultant at the Division of Cardiovascular Diseases at Scripps Clinic in Southern California. Dr. Tobel oversees a multi-million dollar grant on precision medicine, and he's the principal investigator for an NIH grant focusing on innovation and career training in medicine. Our moderator for this episode is Dr. Luis Garcia. Thank you, Dr. Tobel. I'm going to tell you, there are people that wait all their lives to have an opportunity like the one I'm having right now, and they never get it. So I'm blessed and honored to be here today. Uh, you know, you have been one of the most influential physicians in our industry, excellent clinician involved in drug development, device development, molecular medicine research, uh, one of the top 10 cited scientists in the world, three books. Uh, you advise the UK government on their national health system and all those accolades that I could take the, uh, the hour that we have here to talk on, on that, but I won't because we want to hear from you. But one of the things that I want to tell you is that what I have learned from you today is that besides all that, you are a great human, you have great character, and you have a great integrity. That's what I learned today. So that leads me to my first question. Who is Eric Topol? <laughs> Well, well, first, uh, let me say how kind of you to say these things, and I'm very appreciative and humbled. Uh, I tried to reckon with this question. I never had it before. Who am I? <laughs> you know, uh, but basically, you know, I, uh, as you might expect, uh, I am. I, uh, I have a wife now, 43 years uh, as of yesterday, anniversary. I have two great kids and three grandchildren. And then there's what I do at work, which tends to get overemphasized. But as you say, I, I, I identify as a physician and as a person who's trying to improve medicine. I've been working on it for a long time. And sometimes many days I feel like I haven't gotten very far, but I won't keep, I won't stop. I'll just keep working on it until I just can anymore. Well, thank you, and, and I think the product of your efforts are, is very tangible for us. I mean, it's very notable, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, you, you mentioned family as the first uh, description of you, and I know you're a family man. Uh, who was Eric Topol as a child? You know, as you're growing up, tell us about your family and, and your dreams about becoming somebody influential. Yeah, well, I... I didn't come from a medical family. My my mother was a school teacher and my father uh, an accountant. And uh, I really didn't know that medicine was going to be in the cards until actually in, in college at University of Virginia. Uh, I worked at night shift just to try to make uh, ends meet. Uh, and I happened to be in the night shift uh, as a respiratory technician. And those were the days where you know, these were very primitive ventilators compared to what we had now, but I saw people in the intensive care unit, almost like a Lazarus, you know, resurrection. I thought they were to die, and then they were, they would make it. I said, wow, this is, this medicine thing is amazing. So that basically pushed me from what I was planning to do in life to become a physician. But I, I never really had aspired to uh, be, you know, a leading edge type uh, force. It was more 
as a natural pushing hard on, on things that I believed in or worked hard to try to advocate. And, and you know, a lot of uh, young uh, physicians-to-be or a lot of children perhaps find themselves or will find themselves in a situation like yours where you get the opportunities to seize an opportunity and you do it and, and then you become really influential. What would you tell those children right now that are the future of our country and of our world? Uh, what message would you tell them of encouragement, of, uh, of why is it important to get an education? Why is it important to, important to take advantage of those opportunities and capitalize on them? Well, I think the, the idea that is a limitless what you can do if you are um, really uh, driven to what you're passionate about, uh, that you know, everyone has um, the talent and it's a matter of applying it to, it doesn't have to be the kinds of things that I've worked on or you've worked on, Lewis, but many other um, people don't ever find their niche in life. They don't find the matchup of where they have something to offer. Um, and that's, I think, unfortunate, that that alignment of what you can do that's special and help people and make a difference. Um, you know, we're lucky when we find those. But uh, there's too many people that have that latent or not so latent capability that's extraordinary, but they don't really come to that realization or sometimes they do but it's you know much later in their life so the sooner you can find what you are excited about what you think may be a talent to nurture um, a particular quality that is burning inside you then you know that you go for it you know that you have to really and it, of course it doesn't happen by accident you, you know there's this doesn't it's not something that is a, a natural gift. It means work. You have to really uh, work at it as well. So it's a pairing of finding that kind of uh, inclination, that quality, and then really going after it. I appreciate that uh, that insight, Dr. Topol. And yes, I, I got to tell you, I feel myself so lucky that I'm in the medical field and that I love what I do, right? Oftentimes we find somebody doing a job just because it is a job and not because it is a passion, right? So realizing what your passion is and executing on it uh, with hard work, uh, I appreciate those comments. Um, you know, when I talk to great leaders in this world, um, oftentimes they can identify a moment of, of uncertainty in their lives in which they had to make a decision and uh, that decision put you in a much different spot than you would have been if you would have taken the other side of the road. Did that ever happen to you? Oh, actually, I, uh, several times. I, I live in uncertainties, really. But um, the one I can recall, particularly since we're talking about a you know, kind of career path, was I was at UC San Francisco in my medical training, and I actually was uh, planning to be a diabetologist because my father um, had... Uh, type 1 diabetes and had gone blind by age 49 and um, I wanted to dedicate my life towards that and uh, in fact that was one of the reasons I picked UC San Francisco because they had a 
uh, first-rate diabetes um, division. Anyway, my wife um, said when I was doing uh, rotations and intersecting with cardiology, she said, that's what you're really excited about. Can't you tell? And so she was the first one to note that I, I wasn't at all excited about what I purported to be. And she helped sway me towards cardiology, and that was a big important um, decision uh, where I was certain, but I was you know, basically uh, realigned with her uh, support and insight. Let, let me change uh, a little bit uh, the topic here, Dr. Topol. Um, Sanford Health, we say that we aspire to be the premier rural healthcare system in the, in the nation. And we're driven by the values that I've heard you reinforce and talk so much, like restoring humanity in medicine, you know, being about the patient, not being about compensation or reimbursement. And, and really finding again the value and the art of being a physician and taking care of people in need. And you articulate that very, very eloquently in your books. But uh, do you want to share your thoughts about that? Well, because I'm older, I've seen medicine change over the many decades. And unfortunately, it's mostly for the bad. Um, that is, the emphasis on the patient-doctor relationship um, has been lost in, in most respects. And the business of medicine has become uh, the center. Uh, and so that term patient-centric is, is really useless compared to what is the reality. Um, and so it was especially as I got older, naturally I became more frequently a patient and realized even from firsthand experience how this attrition has become so um, extraordinary. And that, that is, I think, ignited me to try to get us back and, you know, find all the other people that are willing to work together towards getting medicine back to where it was, which was that precious relationship that you had with your doctor, which was the person who had your back, the person who you could trust. And whenever you talked with them, there was an attentiveness. There was um, just a, a real presence. And you could relate your deepest concerns. Whereas now, of course, that is a rarity. So I, I hope that in the future, that's our biggest deficit right now. That, I think, accounts for why there's a global crisis of burnout and such severe depression among clinicians. And we can do this. We can get it back. I'm confident of that, but it, it isn't going to be without a lot of effort and without solidarity in the medical community. Well, one of the things, uh, Dr. Topol, that I, that I got out of your, your books was obviously the physician and clinician uh, perspective is very important in in patient care, but what about the patient perspective? And to your point, that uh, somehow that art of medicine has been lost for the wrong incentives, and uh, uh, oftentimes, as physicians, we we'll say, "Well, my patients love me, yeah. and I provide the best provide the best care in the world." And 
And interestingly, in one of your books, you you bring the the world the word cloud uh, concept. Can can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the perception that our patients, you know, my patients love me, may be a little off because while there may be some um, physicians who truly have that, most uh, don't. And we saw that the word cloud you mentioned is from one leading medical center. What are the two words that you think of from? right coming out from your visit, and the words were not pretty, um, you know, hurried and rushed and unconcerned and, you know, just devoid of the humanistic qualities that we need to exude. And that, I think, um, is the real problem, um, that uh, that used to be the case, that there was a, a love. It was bilateral. I mean, there were a lot of patients I just adore. I mean, no question about it. And um, But the time that we have is so compromised that we don't even have time to listen to a patient, no less to do a proper exam and, and cultivate a relationship. Um, I think that you know, what, I, what I'm excited about at Sanford is that you could be the leader and pioneer in reestablishing the, the care of the patient is about caring for the patient because there isn't a health system in the United States that exudes that or, or is the exemplar, and you can do that here. You know, Dr. Topol, thanks for pointing that out to us. And, and, and let me be honest with you. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, we're driven by values. And uh, during the pandemic, we took an especial interest in learning how, our, how w what were our patients thinking of, of us as a healthcare system. And turns out that we are the most trusted healthcare system in our regions. And people understand by default that we have the greatest talent. But it is about that trust, and it is about that relationship that, that really makes the difference. And, and the last couple of years have been so difficult for mm. clinicians, healthcare providers. Right now, they feel that they're devalued. And, and, and the, the sense of being devalued comes precisely from what you're seeing, from their patients perhaps not trusting their opinion, not trusting their insight because of all the myriad and amount of information that we get from untrusted sources. What are your thoughts about that? Well, the bigger picture is there is uh, more blurring of you know, truth and lies and you know facts and fabrications than ever before. And we have done as a country little to ante up with the the forces that are making this that are consciously trying to blur and, you know, all the fake stuff. And we have to work hard to get that trust back. And it's across the board. I mean, all the revered institutions, including medicine, has suffered from this. Um, but we have a very strong anti-science faction in this, in this country, more so than most other industrialized parts of the world. And we haven't done anything, really, to uh, cope with it, to counter it. and take control. And, and unfortunately, it's just gotten worse through the pandemic. Um, in this time of crisis, this would have been ideal time to really uh, work against it. And um, in fact, knowing it was going to be an issue, you could tell uh, early on. Um, but, you know, it's never too late. And I think that um, because there's so much unreliable source of information for people, because people get their their putative facts and news that often is questionable through so many varied sources. Um, we have to have a central 
source that is known to be trusted uh, and that everyone can rely upon. And that's going to take effort, and we, we have no such thing, no such force at this point. And I, and I don't want to miss the, the opportunity to speak about two instances in which your determination, in which your adherence to science really have made a difference. And, and I, I have to ask you about uh, your participation in COVID, that's one thing, and, and, and your participation with the UK government, with the United Kingdom government. But let me, let me just ask you, how does it feel to get called on your personal phone by somebody uh, uh, telling you, we want you to come and redefine the, the national healthcare system for the United Kingdom? I, I, that must be a super honor. How does well, that feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was kind of interesting that it happened, you know, from another country rather than in your own country at the time. But, yeah, it was actually, um, I was thrilled to get that uh, call and invitation. I had no exactly, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into, that I would go and have these, you know, 50 different people assigned to this for this review to help me. And, you know, and it was obviously a big uh Part, not just planning the National Health Service, but how well it would be received by the public. How would it be seen as a political, you know, football sort of thing? And so it was. It was a fascinating learning experience for me, um, and made a lot of you know new friends from it. But you know, these days in the pandemic, it's been gratifying because now there are people in our own uh, government that are making making contact and you know asking for input and. Uh, it's great to have a voice, to have a, a chance to, to weigh in. Um, I, you know, I think that when you, when you have at least uh, a way, a channel, what you, you, you know, sometimes in the bubble that our government uh, sits, they don't really have a, uh, um, a, enough insight about what is the problem out there. Uh, uh, and I think right now, um, you know, the chances increased throughout the pandemic of being able to give some at least thoughts. Sometimes you could consider it advice, and uh, it's fun for me. And it's just amazing you share a story with us earlier of how, uh, once again, your determination and your input uh, really influenced the, the the release of the vaccine and, and all the... Uh, the um, uh, research that was going on behind the COVID vaccine. Do you want to share some thoughts about Well, about it's that? interesting. I, I never realized the power of social media, for me at least, until I exercised it during the course of the pandemic. And so it started with um, the, the, the vaccine trials were, we knew they were ongoing, but the companies, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, AstraZeneca, none of them would release their protocol like they had something to hide. So I basically started tweeting at these companies, when are you going to release your protocol? When are you going to release your protocol? And finally I got them or, or whatever that happened. And one did it, you know, and then they all did it because they were all basically, um, you know, undressed about this issue. And once you saw the protocols, then you started to see, oh my gosh, there's a chance that these trials could be stopped early, really early before we knew the truth. And then, of course, there was a concern that the FDA was being subverted, uh, and then the company's interest was to get the vaccine. So you basically had alignment of uh, the uh, current administration that subverted the FDA, and the companies all wanted to get the vaccines approved and get hundreds of millions of doses out there sold as quickly as possible. But they didn't have a plan to do it right. 
So by social media basically exposing the protocols and making them public for the, and also for the research community to see, that was basically the ticket to we cannot let this happen. If these trials stop after 30 patient events and we are going to start giving vaccines to billions of people, something is going to be off here. You know, I think the extraordinary part of this, uh, knowing the protocols, being able to have precise readout that if this were to happen as the companies wanted and as the administration wanted, we could be looking at premature uh, dissemination of vaccines that were not proven. And this could be um, not knowing the results, but this could be a real uh, setting for mistrust and also a backfire. I mean, we could have really good vaccines, but without validation, we, we could really see trouble. So fortunately, um, this got all fixed in the nick of time in October of um, 2020. And we're very lucky. And we had vaccines that had 95% efficacy, at least against the original strain. And um, we had it done right. The trials were finished. And in just mid-November, you know, we started to see the results. The companies acted properly. Uh, and everything kind of fell into place. And we're lucky about that. It could have gone a whole different route. And whatever accusations people have made about it, it was rushed, they don't have any idea about what rushed could have meant. You know, on behalf of the so many patients that needed that and the so many people that needed your leadership, thank you for standing up for the right thing. So we appreciate that. Um, you know, Dr. Topolin, in your books, you talk a lot about the future of medicine and uh, how will augmented intelligence, machine learning, and all that would influence medical care in the future. Where do you see medicine in 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Well, one thing I'll preface that by is that every time I try to think where it's going to be in X number of years, it's multiplied by about three or four times, if not more. It doesn't move like it should. Uh, and this is another a flagrant example is that if we were to embrace AI and go after it in terms of doing the proper vital validation work, we could get there faster. Um, but we're, we're not. We're more, the medical community, more afraid of it than they are seeing the extraordinary potential. But over time, we will see keyboard liberation. We will see reestablishment of, you know, really good communication uh, during uh, encounters between patients and clinicians. We will ultimately see remote patient care with much less use of hospitals than we do today. That will take longer, of course, because we have all sorts of reasons in this country to rely on hospitals that we shouldn't be as much. At any rate, there will be more changes ahead, or at least opportunities for change, whether we in the United States will adopt them as compared to other countries that are better poised because of their health systems, well, that remains to be seen. But this is the most exciting time for medicine, uh, rather than certainly the last couple of decades where we've seen degradation. This is the potential for an extraordinary turning point if we, if we work at it. 
I love the, that last sentence, uh, Dr. Topol. And let me tell you, at Sanford, this is reassuring because we are investing a lot on uh, on the virtual aspect and the digital aspect for patient care for the right reasons. And uh, and I'm going back to your to your comment of this is exciting and medicine is still beautiful. Medicine is still good. Uh, we have so many people that have left the workforce and they might decide to come back or not, or so many people that are considering getting into the workforce of healthcare, but they're hesitating because of what the last two years uh, had done. This is my last question. What would you tell those kids that are considering getting into medicine? Why should they get into, uh, into our field? And, and what is so precious about it that it should be their calling? Well, there isn't any question that the best is yet to come. I mean, we've we've hit a bottom that will we, it it only can get better now. But moreover, there's no profession that is more exciting, more rewarding than medicine. The fact that you can truly care for another person for the most important part of their existence, their health, and you can help promote that. Um, and you can have the trust of that person for a lifetime. I mean, there's nothing like this. There's no other profession like this. We are privileged to be part of it. And I think once we start to get this turning point established where the humanity is brought back in, it won't happen like a light switch. It'll happen in phases. There will be a surge of interest to be part of this like never before. Dr. Topol, I started my conversation with you highlighting what a great human being and leader you are. And to all our listeners, I think they will agree with me that after the, the thoughts that you share with us, that is exactly who you are. Uh, thank you for everything you have done until now. I hope that you live until you're 200 years old so we can continue to have your leadership. And if not, somehow with the future of polygenics and everything that we can clone you so but th thank you for being here with us thank today. you you're much too kind but i really appreciate the chance to speak with you today and our thanks to dr eric topol for his time find and hear more sanford health podcast series and episodes by clicking the link in the show notes sanford health podcasts are also available on apple spotify or wherever you listen for sanford health news i'm courtney collin thanks for being here